0: Everyone, Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, I forgot to mention on yesterday's show, now that we are in regular season mode, we are five days a week here with Packers Unscripted. We are doing just two days a week with uh, training camp, but now in regular season, we are five days a week, Monday through Friday. A new episode will be posted on the website and available for a podcast. So, Uh, We spent a lot of time on yesterday's show breaking down the roster and how the Packers got down to 53 players, but as we know, that roster is an ever-evolving entity with regards to the Packers, and two new additions already coming through the door, one being linebacker Corey Toomer, the other running back Darius Jackson players picked up from elsewhere We'll start with Toomer because he actually practiced with the Packers for the first time on Monday, a veteran inside linebacker. This is his eighth team now since being drafted by the Seahawks back in 2012. Took him a while to come into his own a little bit in the NFL, but over the last two years, 2016-2017 with the Chargers, both in San Diego and Los Angeles, as a part-time starter, put up some pretty good numbers. This is a guy who You know, the Packers are very young, obviously, at inside linebacker. Might be able to help out here.
1: Yeah, he'll turn 30 this season, uh, you know, I think in December. So uh, very interesting that uh, they would go out and find a guy like this. He offers them some flexibility there at the inside linebacker position. Also some potential uh, contributions on special teams, which is always what you look for from those backup interior or inside linebackers. The part I love, I don't want to say I love the most, but I think is the most poetic, of this whole situation with Tumor, it really illus- illustrates the agony and ecstasy of Cutdown Day because the <laughs> corresponding roster move for. Toomer getting signed was Jake Kumaro, who finally makes a 53-man roster. Well, he goes on injured reserve. Now, that keeps him eligible to potentially be activated to the roster later this season as a designated to return player. Right. But, you know, for everything he did, I'm sure he really wanted to be there week one playing with these guys and, and being able to live that NFL dream after trying for so long to make it in the NFL, three training camps before this year. And then conversely, you have Tumor who came into the league in 2012, spent a number of seasons on the Seattle Seahawks practice squad on their injured reserve, their stories sort of parallel each other a little bit. Yeah. You know, He had to go to Dallas. He had to play with the Rams. Uh, It wasn't until really he finally settled in with the Chargers, this guy really got a chance to show what he could do on the football field. This offseason, as you mentioned, he signs with the 49ers. Doesn't work out there, so now he's in Green Bay. So as he said, this isn't easy. You know, you have to be able to pick up stuff quickly now. It's week one of the regular season. But being honest, this is also something Tumor's really been dealing with his entire career, having to catch up on the fly.
0: Yeah, and he was hoping, obviously, to land a spot with the San Francisco 49ers. But he admitted he was signed there basically as an insurance policy for Reuben Foster because the 49ers did not know what was going to be happening with all the off-field legal no. troubles and everything that was going on with Foster. So he signed there. But then the 49ers also drafted somebody after that, I believe in the third round, a linebacker out of BYU as another potential insurance policy with regards to Foster. So as that all developed and then Foster got into camp and into preseason, he sort of saw the writing on the wall and uh, wasn't necessarily shocked when he got released. But Within a couple of hours, he said he got a phone call from the Packers. The Packers had contacted his agent. They worked something out fairly quickly, and, uh, and here he is. You look at those numbers. His last two seasons with the Chargers started a total of 16 games, eight games each season, over 100 total tackles, five forced fumbles in that time, a couple of sacks, five passes defensed, including one interception that he returned for a touchdown. He feels like in limited playing time, he put up some pretty good numbers and maybe he's just, uh, scratching the surface as to what he might be able to do. Even though, as you mentioned, he's approaching that magic age of 30.
1: Yeah. And it's a little bit different, you know, for inside linebackers, I think that isn't always necessarily the, um, I don't want to say the fear factor that, that it is at some other positions. You see a sure. lot of guys, particularly his play style, be able to succeed in this league going into their 30s. But what's interesting about his story is if you go back and, and look at it, I mean, this is a guy that was a junior college player originally. He ends up transferring to Idaho, doesn't really have a whole lot of buzz, but then puts up a pretty darn good pro day. Uh, and, and you go back to 2012 when he came out, I think he ran like a 4-5-3 Um, Now, mind you, it is six years later now. I understand that. But Mm -hmm. uh, there was there there was traits that I think John Snyder saw with him that that the Seahawks developed him for three years and ultimately he ends up moving on. But uh, he's just always kind of scratched and clawed his way into this league. And I think even during his time with the Chargers, you know, he started, I want to say, half of those games in two seasons with them. Right. Uh, It was mostly just out of, you know, when he had to be in there, he went in there and made the most of it. I think if nothing else, he gives the Packers a veteran that can come in here and work with some of these young guys, because although Antonio Morrison has played a lot in this league, he's only 23 years old. He, he was in the same draft class as Blake Martinez. You have Oren Burks coming back as a, a third-round rookie draft pick. So I think having a little bit more of a veteran leader in that room can go a long way, because you go back and look at what it did for A.J. Hawk and... And these other guys back during the, the really prime years of that defense, yeah, it, it goes a long way in being able to have some other veterans that you can work off of.
0: And we'll see what opportunities present themselves for Toomer. You mentioned special teams and at inside linebacker right now for the Packers. Oren Burks, still working through a shoulder yeah. injury, was not back at practice on Monday. And James Crawford, the undrafted rookie who made the roster, he was also in the rehab group at practice. Injury is undisclosed at this time, there won't be an official injury report until Wednesday. So the Packers, a little bit thin at inside linebacker for the moment here in week one so we'll see what happens but another position where the Packers ended Saturday at cut down time very thin and that was that running back they only kept mm-hmm. Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery Aaron Jones went on the suspended list he'll be back in week three so the Packers end up signing Darius Jackson off of the Dallas Cowboys practice squad he was cut he cleared waivers then was signed to the practice squad, and then the Packers kind of swooped in and, and signed him anyway. And uh, so a number three running back, at least for the time being, what do you know about Jackson?
1: It's interesting, because I went back and really read up on him and his time with the Cowboys. Uh, he was a former sixth round draft pick of Dallas. He had two different stints with them, also spent some time, I believe, with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the one thing that always stands out to me about those type of players that are probably later-round draft picks but end up coming back Cowboys for as much as you want to talk about you know Jerry Jones and that they have done i I believe a pretty darn good job of developing you know some inside talent you know in the last five six years especially uh, with really just lo- sort of looking internally to develop guys rather than you know free agency and I thought Jackson was one of those guys and the fact that they brought him back, I think kind of speaks to what they felt his level of talent was. And in reading some of the, the clippings and, and that sort of stuff this past off season, sounds like he put together a pretty darn good camp. Wasn't good enough uh, for him to make the the roster yeah. uh, at a very highly competitive position there for the Cowboys, but was signed back to the practice squad. Now he comes to green Bay. I think it's a good opportunity for him. The Packers, you know, it's going to be this game specifically. I think you're going to see a lot of Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery We'll see whether or not Jackson's going to be active in it, but um, you know, getting hopefully in these next coming days, getting a chance to talk to him a little bit about his experience and where he's come from will be interesting. But uh, a Eastern Michigan kid that I think has really uh, you know made his way in this league the first couple of years, you know, despite some kind of humble college beginnings.
0: Yeah, well, we talked about uh, all of the different machinations of Cutdown Day here regarding these players who are now in Green Bay, players who are no, no longer in Green Bay. You discovered kind of a a fun story with regards to cut down day here in Green Bay with the Packers, Uh, a group of, I guess you'd call them the undrafted rookies kind of getting together spending the day together and hoping the phone doesn't ring kind of thing. Uh, just uh, you've, you've posted the story on our website. Tell us what you found out. Yeah, so
1: Tim Boyle, obviously a fan favorite here throughout the preseason, and, and him, Alex Light, uh, undrafted rookie out of Richmond, offensive lineman, and I believe also Austin Davis and a couple other guys were involved in this group of players that really you know, just trying to get through the day uh, <laughs> with all the anxiety and everything that's going on. I thought it was really interesting when I was talking to Boyle. You know, he said by the time he'd even woken up, he was already getting text messages from teammates, uh, you know, league wide that uh, had already not, you know, gotten the bad news. So Former
0: teammates, like high school and college every, guys. Everything, Packers, with,
1: yeah. what have you. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. He mentioned, like, at that point, it becomes real. Like, that call could come at any minute. So him, Light, a collection of these guys went out for breakfast. A, a bunch of them came into Lambo actually, and worked out, uh, just trying to do everything they can to get their mind off things and, light kind of uh, recounted a story about how there was about five of them total. And then as the morning went on, the phone calls started coming in. And yeah. by the time they got to lunchtime, it was just Boyle and light. So they went down the street here to Texas roadhouse, uh, <laughs> sat down, ate us as, as, uh, Boyle said, just got a good steak and just tried to wait it out. And three o'clock came, Boyle said two minutes after three, he finally got a call from his agency confirming he'd made the team. Uh, what a m- incredible journey it's been for him. I, we, we do a feature usually on an undrafted rookie when after they sign in the spring, and, and Boyle was the guy I talked to this year. And, yeah. You know, if you know anything about where he comes from, uh, was a three-time state champion, I believe, in high school, but... He stays in state at UConn. He has three different offensive coordinators in three years. It doesn't work out there. He transfers to Eastern Kentucky. And I think he came to the NFL and came to Green Bay with a chip on his shoulder to show that, you know what? I belong in this league. I can play in this league. And now he has the opportunity to stay uh, on the Packers 53. And then just quickly on light, uh, this is a guy that was had two scholarship offers coming out of high school. <laughs> I believe it was Richmond wow. and uh, VMI, if I remember correctly. Okay. Uh, And he was told he was too small. He wasn't going to be able to play at a, a major college. And then lo and behold, not only does he end up making the roster as the ninth offensive lineman and an undrafted rookie, he played left tackle for most of the preseason. You've covered this league for a long time, Mike, you know it. When guys come in from those FCS, you know, sort of left tackles or lower tier FBS schools. A lot of times they end up moving them to interior linemen. James Camp, or to right tackle, or to perhaps. right tackle, right? Correct, right? James Camp took a look at Light and he said, "No, I want you to play tackle." And then here he is now. Yeah. And as he said, it, it kind of caught him off guard at first, but at the end of the day, it ended up being his ticket to the roster. A lot of silence, a lot of anxiety, but totally worth it for both of those guys to end up being one of four undrafted rookies to make the team.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine personally just the nerves and the anxiety of something like that for cut down day for these young guys who, you know, you know, you're on the bubble, but that's all they know. What are their chances of making it, not making it? There's almost no way to gauge it because there are so many different factors that go into these decisions that the team's making. And, It's interesting because I've heard stories over the years from lots of different players, and this can go a number of different ways. This one, this particular year, it sounded like these players, their phone just never rang. And then the three o'clock deadline passes and they haven't gotten a phone call. And you sit there and go, well, I guess I've made the team because nobody called me. Other times you hear from players where maybe their position coach sent them a quick text or a call. Uh, to end the anxiety and just say, hey, you know, you've made it, you know, we're good and everything. So, and there's never necessarily a rhyme or reason to how these how these things work out, but these cut down days can go in, in so many different ways for these guys. And I don't know, I just, I can't imagine trying to, you know, I mean, waking up, whatever it is, eight, nine o'clock in the morning and they get up and then they've got this six, seven hours of of agony almost waiting yeah. to find out what their future is. It's, it's gotta be it it's just it's gotta be rough. I, I give these guys a lot of credit. Those I mean even those who don't make it and maybe we'll never hear from them again. But uh um you know, they gave it everything they had, and uh, and now it's time to move on.
1: Yeah, it's tough, because it isn't just that 3 o'clock deadline. You know, Boyle and Light both talked about it, too. You, It's the entire weekend. It's basically all the way up until Tuesday, when I think you're guaranteed a paycheck uh, of just, you know, not sure what's going to happen. 2016, Mike, you go, or 2015, excuse me, Miles White, first time in three camps, finally makes the roster. Yeah, and then that's right. James Jones comes flying in the next day, and White's the corresponding roster move. It's just the nature of the beast. Nobody likes it, but... At the end of the day, the Packers are trying to put together their top 53 players, and sometimes even if you make that initial cut, doesn't always mean you're going to be there the next Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, before we get to one other topic, Wes, a little bit of sponsor business. Enter the Cousin Sub's Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16. By completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash bestseats, cousins, subs, we believe in better. Okay, one more topic I want to hit on before we go today, Wes, and that's something that it was a topic across the league throughout the preseason. We never really got around to discussing it on this show. Seems like now would be a decent time to do so. And what I'm talking about is this whole new use of the helmet rule that we saw a number of questionable flags, um, a number of players getting upset about calls being made that they don't know what they did wrong and this and that. Obviously in the preseason, the officials are looking for it even more closely. It's a new rule. They're trying to, you know, trying to educate the players, trying to get them accustomed to it, trying to get accustomed to what they're looking for as officials and all that kind of stuff. But Bottom line was it was a little bit of a mess in the preseason. Is this going to straighten itself out in the regular season, or how do you see this evolving from here? Because it just—it seems like it's kind of just getting started.
1: Yeah, it was funny though because I thought the first game the Packers played that—that uh, that they opened the training or the preseason with against, I believe it was Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah. Uh, it was—it was like this is bad, man. <laughs> it was like every other play, sometimes back to back plays. There's just flag after flag after flag. I think a running back got called for lowering his helmet, basically running through the tackles. I, yeah. I don't know how else you're supposed to do that if you're a running back i mean they talk about pad level they don't talk about mall walking you know right. through the offensive line but i will say this as the at least as it relates to green bay i can't speak for the nfl it seemed like every preseason game it got a little bit better and you know every year we hear about these emphasis emphases mm-hmm. you go back and yeah. it, that one year it was defensive holding it was defensive pass interference and the, the flags are just flying and then once you get to the regular season they're a little bit more conservative with it. Uh, the refs are practicing. They're they're working these things out, too. They're having the conversations. So my hope would be is that, and I've always said this, Mike, you cannot rule this league objectively. You just can't. Yeah. It's a subjective league by nature. The game itself is subjective. Where you want to put the football when you're lining up for third and one Yeah. ...is subjective. I don't care what you say until we start with this, like maybe the tennis ball technology that shows you where the ball actually was. Right,
0: some kind of GPS thing. But
1: otherwise it's subjective. You can't rule it objectively. So I hope my only aspiration for the season, there is a little bit of wiggle room allowed, specifically with the helmet rule for just common sense to prevail. Yes, you do not want to have the hit from Danny Trevathan on da- Devonte Adams or the Thomas Davis hit on Adams. You right. want to get that out of the game. I'm Absolutely. with you 100%. But we also saw some really good competitive clean hits, like the one on Mercedes Lewis, uh, or even more specifically, the one on Jamon Moore uh, against, sure. uh, against
0: Pittsburgh. Against
1: Oakland, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, it was Oakland. You want to be able to see those type of plays. You want to be able to see competitive, high-level football in Trying to eliminate the egregious helmet-to-helmet hits, and and also have some understanding that sometimes contact's going to happen too. Yeah, I'm going to get on
0: the uh, the Spofford soapbox yes! for a minute, if you don't mind. We got
1: to get the little graphic I, up yeah, in front of us.
0: I've said I've said this in Insider Inbox. I've had conversations with you about it. When it comes to these safety rules, and I'm all for instituting these rules and trying to make the game safer. The league has to do it for its own future. I, th- I I think that's indisputable. My problem with it is I think they're asking the officials on the field to do too much. I agree. I think if you want to put these rules in about lowering the helmet and certain types of contact and all this, you have to let them go to replay to decide these 15-yard penalties. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not advocating four-hour games with – you know, 15, 20 stoppages for replays. I don't think that's necessarily good for the game either. But you can't have these games decided by a 15-yard penalty in the fourth quarter on a hit that at full speed looks like it could be illegal, according to the rule, and they throw the flag. But then when you as you take one look at it on replay and you're like, no, he hit him with the shoulder. He didn't yeah. hit him with the helmet. It's perfectly legal, yet there's no redress for it. There's no way to fix it. I think they're asking the officials on the field to do too much, to, to administer all of what I'll call the regular rules where the ball is spotted for third and one, the pass interference, the holding calls, everything else, and then all these safety rules on top of it. I just think it's too much, Wes. And And if the league is not going to allow more of these safety rules to be subject to replay, I think we're going to end up seeing games decided by highly questionable calls, and the the fans aren't going to stand for it. The fans are going to get really, really upset, and the players and the coaches are going to get upset about it too.
1: Yeah, and I thought they made a really good move. Probably Maybe the best move the NFL has made in relation to rules was a few years ago when when they really put an emphasis down on the targeting you know, leaving your body, launching yourself. Yeah, because the launching. I always go back to that game against Washington. I think it was in 2012 or 13 where uh, Eddie Lacy ends up sustaining the concussion from a hit from Brandon Merriweather. Yeah. i to remember who it was.
0: 2013, it was Lacy's rookie year. Yeah, and,
1: and those there's just no place for that in this day and age. Agreed. And I wish they could have maybe just kind of rotated from that a little bit to, to try to eliminate the Devontae Adams hits from last year as opposed to, I think, going on the other side of it, and taking your regular down and you know the type yeah. of plays you see all the time because I go back to that that running play was the biggest eye opener to me I think it was the Titans game correct yeah. me if I'm wrong yeah the it Titans was. were driving at that point in time and the running back puts his helmet down to go again in a you know power type situation and that's a 15 yard penalty yeah. that stalled the drive they end up punting Completely. two plays later right Pat, and now the thing I remember tweeting it or I remember writing about it in the inbox the next day. If that's a a Packers player, and that happens in the regular seasons, Lambeau Field would have been beside itself. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no question.
1: But, you know, it was preseason, it's the opponent, nobody really cared. That's what I'm going to be keeping my eye on now that we get into the regular season.
0: Right, and my point about asking the officials to do too much, I'll go to another rule that generated a lot of discussion and, a, and some change in the rule book in the off-season, the catch rule. Yeah. okay. There's this whole thing now about control and two feet down and a football move and all that. They're trying to get that straightened out. Okay, Be that back judge on the seam route down the middle. You're supposed to watch when he has control of the ball, gets two feet down, makes a football move to complete the catch. But then you're also supposed to know if the defender is lowering his helmet and making an illegal contact that could be a 15-yard penalty on top. How is a human being at live speed with some of the greatest athletes on the planet supposed to keep track of all that and call it correctly without going to replay? I don't don't think it's fair to the officials. And the fans get all mad at the officials, and they shouldn't. It's not the officials' fault. It's the league's fault.
1: I've always said this. I don't care if it's the NFL. I don't care if it's Bayport High School. I do. I want nothing to do with being a referee at any point in my lifetime. I couldn't do it. All right. Well, with that, Wes has signed <laughs> off
0: on ever officiating a football game, and we are going to sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here in week one on Packers.com. We'll be with you once a day now through the regular season, Monday through Friday. With that on Twitter, he's at WesHot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.